This is a HeadGum Podcast. While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. that bookish spirit up we love books hooray are you trying to get amped trying to get amped for the show trying what's your favorite pump up song um pump up the jams pump it up when the dj is pumping is that um (laughs) (laughs) welcome over to you it's a podcast for the books you've been meaning to read my name is craig my name is andrew i'm also very partial to the song poison which i don't know is explicitly a that girl is poison i was one yeah i was going for a run today and i ran by like an outdoor festival that somebody was playing poison while people were on a skating rink and i was like man i wish i was at that skating rink wow that's very good. <laughs> Those drums are very. The drums in Poison are very good. How's the, is that's the one that goes like? Yeah, that's that's it. That's what you need to know. So welcome to our Poison cast, uh, where we talk about our fit. No, it's books, silly. Welcome to Poison Boys, Andrew. Oh, <laughs> Andrew, what do we do every week? Not on Poison Boys, but on Overdue. Every week we take some poison, and one of us talks about a book that we read that we've never read before. Yep. And they we tell it to the other person. And we and have to finish the show before the poison kicks in. Yeah, that's always the that's always the uh the fun is it's kind of a, it's it's a little medium speed poison. <laughs> yes. Doesn't and it get you right away, but it's not like a ricin situation. Yes, if the and the other person has the antidote. So if the it has gone well, they administer the antidote. Right. And then we so have to far, do it again next got week. An, got an unbroken streak. <laughs> We'll see if we can do it this week. Okay, so Craig, this week you, and I assume you've taken the poison you're drinking right now. Okay, the poison has been administered. It's more deli- a little hoppy, actually, hoppy this poison. poison. What's your poison? Oh, mine's poison. <laughs> That's a dumb joke. This week you read uh, Darker Shade of Magic by V.E. Schwab. Yes, I did, in fact. That is a book that I read for this here show. It was recommended to us by one of our Patreon supporters, uh, Brianna. Thank you, Brianna. Thank you for your patience as we took our time getting to this book, but I'm Mm -hmm. glad that we are covering it. Mm -hmm. Um, What do you know about V.E. Schwab, Andrew? All right, V.E. Schwab. Her name is Victoria. She goes by both Victoria and V.E., depending on the kind of books that she is she is writing. She okay. answers this question on our website. Um, she says, the short answer is that if I'm writing YA or middle grade, it's Victoria, and if I'm writing adult, it's V.E. Um, and then she says, the real reason is that as much as I love this industry and its readers, we often have a perception problem. I've had people tell me to my face that they were so glad they didn't know I was a woman or they wouldn't have picked up my books. You right, but I'd rather they fall in love with my work and then have to face their bias than never read the work because of it. So cool, yuck. Fun. That's cool. <laughs> um, she's. Um, did I mention she was born in eighty seven? Yeah. That's, okay. She's very successful. I know we kind of, and I have started to feel weird about it when we're like, oh, this person wrote their first book book when they were fifty three. Isn't that neat? 
yeah. with that Nito. And she's like a couple years younger than us. And so now I'm the idiot. Yeah. Well, I try to point that out when it's like, hey, if you're sitting on an idea, you're sitting on a book, like it's never too late to pursue your passion. Mm-hmm. But the, the the other side of that coin is it's never hey, too early to pursue your it's passion. It's apparently never too early. And sometimes you just like go for it and uh, your stuff's good enough and you get some breaks and it works. Yeah. So um, she's um she's best known for um the Shades of Magic series, which yep. is the you read the first of three books, and then there's another um kind of sort of related trilogy she's working on called Threads of Power that I think is going to be in the same universe with some of the same characters, but the focus will be shifted a little bit. Sure. Um, and then one of her first big books was uh, Vicious. It was, came out in 2013. It's a book about college students who give themselves superpowers and then become arch enemies, which sounds kind of pretty cool. Well, so did you know that they were college roommates? Well, uh, that, that they- actually is very real. Like you... <laughs> meet your roommate and then you become arch enemies yeah i don't because they want to cook rice in their (laughs) rice cooker that they're not supposed to have and then play diablo 2 in their underwear all day i have forgotten everything else about your previous college roommate except those two facts those are the two most important ones yeah. I also stayed up till like two in the morning downloading half-life 2 when it came out and who didn't though I didn't. I was trying to sleep. <laughs> I was trying to sleep. That guy's rice was cooking. Uh, <laughs> and then um, there's a book, uh, a sequel to to Vicious called Vengeful that comes out in September. Sure. So that I don't think is like a planned trilogy or anything, but there is another one coming out. So. And I think all of those books are published under V.E. Schwab. And then there's the couple of other, other series, Archived, Everyday Angel, and Monsters of Verity that are all under Victoria Schwab. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is I just took this from her website but The Independent called her a, a natural successor to Diana Wynne Jones who wrote Howl's Moving Castle that we covered like oh, a neat. year or two ago um, so if folks are looking for like ballpark aesthetic I think there's a series of Joneses that has to do with you know magic systems and, and heroes who don't feel like heroes that seems very yeah. similar to darker shades of magic she also um, cites uh neil gaiman as a as a big influence as i think pretty much anybody under at or under the age of 30 writing fantasy yeah does, where right? if you got like everyone who was neil gaiman's age into a room and you're like what who did you read and they're like uh tolkien and ray bradbury <laughs> what's up uh-huh. how's it going um yeah that's pretty much it i mean she the movie of Darker Shade of Magic is on its way. Um, she got a million dollar book deal for the sequel trilogy. That's She's doing pretty good. A lot of a lot of money. Is anyone going to give a us good. a million dollar podcast? Where's my? Deal? That's my question. Is where's my mil? Where's my first podcast million? <laughs> Where are all my podcast millions? You know, you have to frame your first million and put it up on the wall so you remember your roots. Yeah, right, right. That's every every business has its like Apple's first million is hanging on the wall when you go in to see their computers. <laughs> it's true. Um, yeah. So, so I she's got a lot of interviews out there, um, mostly tied to the release of the last book in the in the Shades of Magic series. Okay. Um, but yeah, she she talks a lot about um how she tries to write gender. So she um says. She tries to take the typical gender characteristics of strong men and emotional women and flip them. 
Um, I always say that my female characters are the Lannisters and Slytherins, and my male characters are all Hufflepuff with just a touch of Gryffindor. Um, when you write a second world fantasy, and that's I don't know I don't know that's a term that's come up when we've talked about fantasy, but I guess that is what you call it when it's not our world or even close. Sure. It's like a wholly, a totally different planet. That's what she calls it. When you write second world fantasy, you're in full control of what is normal. And so if you choose to write a largely white heterosexual fantasy as an author, that is on you. Mm. So that is a pretty direct repudiation of, of to just to pick at the, the most prominent example probably is, um, response to criticism of like game of thrones and its gender roles and it's like character types are that well anything else would be unrealistic yeah sure sure sure. dang you got dang like (laughs) zombie ice dragon up there i don't know man it's not even just dragons it's like zombie dragons now yeah um apparently for game of thrones i guess apparently the phrase second world fantasy comes from um if this if this forum I'm reading is to be believed, uh, comes from Tolkien and an essay called "On Fairy Stories," and it's used to refer to a consistent fictional world that is created by the author. Sure. Um, so yeah, that's a good that's a good way to think about it. Like it's on yeah. you if you made the world that way. Yeah. Sure. And um and like if if you if that's how you want to do it, like fine, but like own it and don't. I don't know. Don't act like you're totally helpful, helpless in, in the way that different kinds of people are portrayed. Um, and then the last thing I want to close on is, um, so that, this is something that you and I have talked about on the show and also like not on the show is about like fandom and about gatekeeping and about, Oh sure. Yeah. I don't know. Being welcoming to, to people who are just discovering a thing for the first time. So this is an interview with bookish, um, and they ask, what were you most hoping to accomplish with the Shades of Magic series? What feeling do you hope to leave readers with when they finish A Conjuring of Light? And that's the, that's the third book of the trilogy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and Schwab says, I wanted to create something accessible. Fantasy felt very inaccessible to me growing up. I mean, I did grow up with Harry Potter and that was my doorway. But otherwise, there's a feeling, even with series by George R.R. R. Martin or J.R.R. Tolkien, that you have to prove that you're a true fan and that you belong in that world. I didn't want that. I wanted people to just be able to pick up my book. I wanted them to go into the bookstore, pick up the book with a cover that gave them no idea what it was about and love it. Uh, maybe they don't even think they're a genre fan, but they realize that it's exactly like TV, movies, and fiction that they like. I wanted them to put their biases aside and lose themselves in the story. Nothing makes me happier than when I get messages about readers missing their train stops or letting their tea go cold because they forget where they are while they're reading. That's what I want. So uh, V.E. Schwab wants to inconvenience you. <laughs> yeah. She, gets, she just she wants you to forget I love your it. relationships and your like work obligations. I love it when I get a letter from the bank telling me I forgot to pay my mortgage. Because I love it when my readers get those because they were too right, busy yeah, well, reading my book. And you know, all banks and, and other stuff, like they have you can you can contest the thing. It's like a traffic ticket. And uh was lost in a book. Yes. Is a checkbox on those forms. Sorry, officer, so. I did not see the speed limit sign. As you can see, I was reading while I was driving. I was lost in the adventure of a great book. <laughs> but don't you don't have to take my word for it. Just yes, listen, hello, I'm LeVar Burton. <laughs> All right, well, let's take a quick break, and then we'll get into the book proper. Okay. Okay. 
Craig, do you remember a couple weeks ago when we advertised books on our book podcast? Yeah. Wouldn't it be cool to do it again? Do you yeah, think? it would. And not wait another five years before we have another one. Well, good news, Andrew. Uh, this week, one of our uh, Patreon supporters, Krista, actually has a business that she would like us to talk about. Um, that is the Imaginary Bookshop, which you can find at www.imaginarybookshop.com. They are purveyors of literary gift sets, bookish teas, and other mysterious items that they pair with a carefully curated selection of excellent books. Um, here's some things from their website that I should share. Over half of their staff is made up of cats. Is that legal? <laughs> I don't know, but I want to find out more. Okay. Uh, they have a gift wrapping option called, quote, fill it with spiders. Is but that legal? They now promise. We- <laughs> they, if you're ordering spiders, I suppose, they promise that the spiders are plastic. Um, and they oh, really, well, that, okay. Hmm. Uh, I once um, ordered a, friend, a pizza for my friend Jocko, and I put a spider inside of it to freak him out. A plastic spider? Yeah. It freaked him out. In place of the little, like, plastic pizza table yeah. that they put in the, yeah. <laughs> it was good. Um, the Imaginary Bookshop also really loves Shirley Jackson. Um, they've We've well, we've read The Lottery. We haven't read any other Shirley Jackson, have we? I don't think we have. Right. Um, but, yeah, they have they have some different collections of, of things that they have grouped together to help you buy stuff that's related to other stuff that you like. And the Creeping Malevolence Collection... <laughs> Has a lot of spooky tea and uh, Shirley Jackson books, among other some other novels and, and other books. And also just a coin purse that says Creeping Malevolence on it. Perfect. I love it. It's great. <laughs> what could be in there? Other um, collections include Space Hijinks, Monsters, and Dystopia. Awesome. So if you head over to www.imaginarybookstore.com, you can get a gift for your weirdest friend or yourself, and Overdue listeners get 15% off their purchase with the discount code OVERDUE. Um, And the bookshop currently exists online, but it will be manifesting in the physical realm at ReaderCon. So stop by and say hello if you're in Boston between July 12th and 15th. So yep, that's soon. Because if you, if you miss there. it there, it doesn't reappear for another 100 years. It's, so what is on that? It. What is that? It's like Brigadoon. Yeah. That's the <laughs> <Okay>. joke. Okay. <laughs> Imaginarybookshop.com. Get there. Get your creepy stuff and your tea. Every time, every time we read a fantasy book, I think, and I think this is because we've played video games and talked about video games with each other for a very long time, but I feel like I personally get hung up on... Like, how does the magic system work? Sure. We both get hung up on that a little bit. So before we spend like 25 (laughs) minutes talking about that, (laughs) tell me about the rest of the book. Sure. So A Darker Shade of Magic uh, opens with uh, a single sentence. Kel wore a very peculiar coat. Now, I know you're thinking, you're thinking about the star of the hit Nick television show, Keenan and Kel, but no, it's a well, different... No, I, th- I was just thinking that most books begin with a, like a, a sentence, <laughs> what? Uh, typically. It's like, it's it's page, it's like paragraph breaked out, like it's okay, sure. Own, sorry. <laughs> yes, right. this book begins with a sentence. This oh, book contains idiot. words which, when read in sequence, tell a story. 
dang it. <laughs> uh, and his peculiar coat, Kells, is like a Doctor Who-y type. It's like bigger on the inside. It's multiple coats, and he can turn it into different coats by just like flipping it inside and out. And uh, the fir- this is another quote. The first thing he did whenever he stepped out of one London and into another was take off the coat and turn it inside out once or twice until he found the side he needed. So... You made a face when I said some words in that sentence. What words popped out to you? I mean, the you said London, and so you said stepping from one London to another. So I assume that establishes multiple universes. But um, is one of these wor- worlds and universes like ours, or is there just a city that happens to be named <laughs> London that exists in this completely separate world, or what? So Kel the Magic Man with the Magic Jacket lives in a hell in his amazing technicolor dream coat <laughs> yes he uh lives in a city called london that um is called london but it's not our world the thames is not called the thames the geography is all the same but there's magic there and it's very wonderful he refers to that as red london it smells like flowers it's his home people have magic it's pretty common um, we meet him, however, in Grey London, what he calls it, which is our world, Andrew, in 1819. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Yes, okay. the quote, normal world. It smells like smoke, which sucks. It looks like smoke. <laughs> um, and he is visiting the actual King George III, who knows about the different Londons, but like can't travel there. Only people like Kel can travel between the Londons. Um, there's no magic in the real world, really, except some people have heard of it. Uh, Wait, some people have heard of real magic or some people have read like fiction where magic exists. Some people have heard of the real magic that exists in this universe. Um, there are people who like to collect magical items, um, or people who want to try and pursue using magic, even though like it's really weak in gray London. So you can't really, um, and then, I said, as I said, there's Red London, where Kel is from. He is the adopted prince of that universe's, or that in that universe, the kingdom that he lives in. He's the adopted prince. Um, the king and queen have another, pr- the real prince, uh, Rye, um, which I keep wanting to say Re, like Matthew Reese, because it's spelled similarly, but mm-hmm. it's just Rye, like the bread. Um, and he's the prince. He's kind of like Kel's brother. Magic is super common, like I said. Um, and then there's two more Londons, Andrew. There's White London, which is so. Like, wait, that sounds like regular London again. <laughs> I see what you did there. It's super creepy. Everything's covered in like this white ash. Uh, it smells like blood. Each each London has a smell. White London smells like blood. It's a very violent land um, that's ruled by a brother-sister, king and queen. Uh, their last name is Dane. They're very sadistic, evil wizards. They, um, does there, do they do the Game of Thrones thing? No, we don't see them do any of the of the Game of Thrones thing. <laughs> they just uh, seem to be evil people. Um, and then there's Black London, which no one goes to. Um, it's the source of like evil magic and it fell three or 400 years ago because people like were consumed by magic and it's just referred to as this 
force that exists in the universe um, that uh, people in Red London are like kind of cool with it. They think there should be balance between humanity and magic. Uh, Gray London people don't really know what to do with it. White London people want to dominate magic and use it for their own purposes. And then Black London got beat by the magic and it fell and is super dangerous and bad. Um, and the thing that happened a couple hundred years ago was that Red London said there used to be gates, magic gates between all the Londons, Andrew. I don't know if it was like a subway or what it was. There, It's unclear. But, but most people used to be able to go between them. Okay. With some magical help. Um, There's like a platform nine and three quarters effect. Uh, no. <laughs> I'm going to get into how Kel goes between the worlds in a second. But um, normal magic using people used to like, you know, your typical magic users got to hop between the Londons. I don't know why. If, I don't think White London used to be as bad as it is now. Mm-hmm. Um, but then when things got bad, uh, Red London like closed all its gates because it's like we can't risk things going down here um we're shutting down our borders okay Um, and the reason that this is bad for the other londons is as kel tells us um it's sort of think of like think of it like planets and the sun is where evil magic lives i guess and black london is the closest to the sun and then in order it goes white london Red London, Grey London. So White London is closer to Black London, which means it's in danger more so than Red London is. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Like they go. So in Red Red London is the sweet spot between Grey and White. Yes. Well, between between like being magical and being dangerous. Mm-hmm, 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 okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and in that order, Grey, Red, White, Black, or vice versa. You can only go, when you travel between them, you have to go from an adjacent London. You can't skip from white to gray. Okay. Um, and this is important because Kel's job uh, as what is called an Untari, um, he is a special magic user who uh, has command over blood magic. And there's only a few of them in the world. And there are increasingly fewer of them now that all the gates have been shut. Okay. And I keep wanting to I keep wanting to ask you about magic systems. We're, stuff, no, no, I know. Just, We're going to get there. I'm trying to hold off. Um and his job as sort of a prince and sort of not sort of at the behest of the king and queen, um he has to travel between the worlds to like send missives between the royalty. Mm-hmm. It's not entirely clear why they do this other than like we just got to make sure that none of the other Londons are like completely, you know, doofed up by magic, I guess. Like it's sure. not, they're not trading stuff. You're not supposed to bring things between the worlds. That's illegal. Do they you have know. like magical customs that you need to bring stuff through? <laughs> there's not a gate because what Kel can do, and there's another character we meet named Holland, who is another Antari, the only other Antari that we know about. Um, they can use their blood magic to like carve a symbol on a wall and then they have to like cover it with their own blood 
and then they can travel through to a, a specific spot in a different London, like based on whatever wall they use. Sounds like it would use a lot of blood. It does use a lot of blood. And so you probably can't do it that often. No. They do heal faster than normal people, but they they do like kind of run out of mana. Literal mana sometimes With, okay. <laughs> when they're low on blood. Just assume that in every video game when you're using magic points, you're using your own blood. You're just literally using your own blood. Um, so, like, all of the worlds are different. The only constant is that there is a city called London. Like, the cities are themselves different. Um, the and then worlds... the rest of the world around them is different? Yes. And okay. we, we never go beyond... What's so special about London? They don't know. It's like a magic node of some kind. The Thames in each world is like, uh, in the uh, you know how rivers have arteries, Andrew. Get it? Like blood magic, right? Sure. Um, I I'm making that pun. I don't think the book does, but it is certainly. certainly talked about as the Thames being a source of immense magical energy. Then um, there aren't many other constants between the worlds. There is a, each London has like an inn that is like oddly always in the same spot. Like none of the other buildings map to one another um, and they're all different and have different technologies. But in each town, there is a corresponding like inn that Kel always kind of finds himself drawn to. So is that in sort of the nexus of everything, or is it just, like, is there an implication that the closer you get to the center, whatever this magic thing is, like, the the more identical the stuff around it is? That is not made explicitly clear, though plot points circle around these inns. Like, Kel keeps a secret room in one. Um, Another character we meet, who's the main character from Grey London, Lila, um, she has a room in Grey London's version of the inn. I don't really remember what happens in White London's version of it. I think this is a thing. One of the things I like about this book in general is that Schwab has set up, uh, you know, set up multiple universes. And so she has to do some world building for each of them and for the larger multiverse. But it means that there's actually a lot of blank space on her maps for her to like go fill in later. So I'm, okay. I am not surprised to hear that she is now filling out another trilogy of books here because she could very easily like find new pockets of the world that feel completely like germane and organic um, based on what she's built in this book. Right. Um, I do want to ask you, Andrew, before we get into the magic system. Okay. Well, and I also just kind of want to know what the like the plot of the thing is. Yes. <laughs> so yes, yes. Yes. Like, if if talking about the magic system and then that is the right order, then great. What other cities do you think would be cool if they had multiple universes based on? Them? If they had multiple, so if if I could pick a city to have exist in multiple universes, universes. Okay. Bear with me on this one. Okay. Cleveland? <laughs> That's what I was thinking. Because, to, okay, so to people who haven't been to Cleveland, Ohio, one, it's like, it's not as bad 
as no, it's, its not. popular it's not. reputation would would suggest. Like it, it doesn't deserve to have a whole show that's like surprised that hot people could exist there. Yes, of course. Which is my reference to the popular show Hot in Cleveland. Okay. Um, I thought you were gonna say the Drew Carey show, but no, 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 no. Drew Carey show is something else. I haven't really watched that much of the Drew Carey show. Um, but when you go to Cleveland, it is like a city that was built for way more people than, than actually yes. live in it because just the streets of downtown are mostly empty compared to like every other major city I've been in. Yes. It's just, it's a strange place, but it's got an interesting character. And so I get like, do we just have white Cleveland? Sure. And the other, like there are Clevelands elsewhere that are more happening. That's what if that could be what if there's a what if there's a Cleveland where the Browns are good? What if <laughs> Cleveland was the city and then there was like a Papa John's in each <laughs> Cleveland that was the, that was the same? I made a note that what would the other Phillies be like? And I said that there'd be a Philly, which is the real world. There'd be a Philly where the sports teams are always good, one where they're always bad, and one with no sports at all. And that's the dark Philly. Whoa. That's the bad Philly. <laughs> what is the fanatic to in a world with no sports he can at go all? Be- he can go between them. He's just a vigilante. Yes. <laughs> he's, oh, God. He's... Drinks, he drinks blood. Oh, no. Um, so the, the, the let's talk about the plot of this book. Let's get moving here. Um, Kel is a magic boy with a magic jacket, like I said, and... He is tasked with going between the worlds, and one of the things that happens when he makes a journey to White London, which Red London feels responsible for what is happening there, um, things are going south. These two cruel uh, siblings have taken over. They're they're domineering everyone. They're you know casting magic spells on everyone to make them like succumb to them, and. People are just like hungry for magic and it's actually kind of eating away at the society. Red London doesn't want things to get worse, but they need to know what's going on. Okay. Kel goes in. Um, he has a scary meeting with the other Antari Holland, as well as the creepy siblings. And on his way out of White London, a woman asks him to deliver a letter and pays him money, gives him a coin purse to do so now he's not supposed to do this it's illegal and because the postal service doesn't exist in this london i guess no well no she wants him to deliver deliver a letter to the to one of the other london's uh, okay me. that's that's illegal <laughs> mail is not illegal in this book i don't think um it's just interdimensional mail yes but kel has a penchant for taking things between these worlds he finds them fascinating he wants trinkets you need a small token from one of the worlds to cast the spell to get you in like you that, need like that and all that blood yes you need okay so what he normally carries around is like coins from each world because they are always very specific um though there are probably other parts, easy to find yes but though there are other parts of the book where he uses other things um but he does like kind of collecting things even though it's illegal so he kind of uh, is like, yeah, okay, I'll do this. I'll take the letter. I, that's fine. Um, when he gets back to Red London, the letter is meaningless, and he discovers that the coin purse actually doesn't have any money in it. It has a small, like, black rock that actually looks like half of a larger, like, talisman, and it is, like, pure evil magic personified. It's like a one ring, except if it did more than, like, it's, 
if it did more than just then turn just you turn invisible. you invisible <laughs> and also like increase your power in nebulous ways that yes. are not fully explained so cool. this it increases his power in explicit ways where he can shoot like the smoke monster from lost out of himself at people um and it it takes a toll on him it is corrupting him um and the arc of the book is him trying to destroy this thing uh by actually getting it back to black london okay. um cuz it's clearly something that made it out of black london and it it could cause real damage if it if it right. stays out there mm-hmm. um so the way that magic works because we're talking about the fact that this black talisman like actually is bad for magic it is it knocks the balance out because it is just like it has a rune on it that literally just means the word magic and like a really old tongue um, <laughs> that's very that's a very tolkien yeah stuff i kind of right love there. it yeah. i kind of love it um and the Magic in this universe is all about, and the book uses the word power explicitly. It's all about commanding. A capital P? Uh, no, but close. Imp- implied capital yeah, P? Yeah, and it's all about commanding things. So um, in particular, the uh, the Antari, they have like blood magic spells that are all commands. Um, when Kel spoke to open doors or heal wounds with his blood, they were orders, and they had to be given in order to be obeyed. And he, Kel talks about blood magic as being like, he and the magic are equals, and they're like negotiating what's going to happen. Okay. Um, and he can, The and magic ex- is like fighting you a little bit more. A little bit, and he's exerting his will over it. And the black magic talisman is even more powerful um, and actually, like, it resists you dropping it. And um, when you create a thing with it, which most magic can't do, um, that thing might turn on you if you don't dispel it soon enough and stuff like that. But the basic magics that uh, Schwab explores are all the elementals. So what do you think the the five elements are in this magic system? Wait, so we got, okay, so we got black... Well, no, no, black doesn't count. Black is like the okay. forbidden one, and so is blood. They don't count. So give me oh, the so five. Oh, so black and blood. Okay, so um, conflict-free magic, which people prefer to blood magic usually. Yes, so these are people, red Londoners. No, uh, those are one of my guesses. Oh, no, sorry. <laughs> it is it is elemental magic. That's my clue for you. Okay, so, so we're talking like wind, heart, um, earth. <laughs> earth, water, air, fire. And bone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> bone magic, you say? <laughs> it's casting a little bit of bone magic on Tell me so, about this bone magic. You can literally command bones? <laughs> <laughs> There's a guy later in the book that we meet named Fletcher who um, you actually, if you can command bone uh, you can like physically control people, which is uh sort of against the law. So he and this is and that's what the uh, that's what the show Bones is about. It is what the show Bones was about, mm-hmm. and he um is Bones the girl. Bones is the girl, and Zelda is the boy, and Zelda is the boy. <laughs> okay, uh, so he can actually well, like really casting a wide net with some of this humor. 
seal it sticks today. What if we combined the 12 season Fox procedural crime drama Bones and weird internet memes about the video game The Legend of Zelda? And we're doing it all while talking about a book about magic. It's about a hit. Magic. Now, where are my podcast millions? I say again. <laughs> I order another trilogy of podcasts. Um, mm-hmm. All right. So tell me, you were talking about bone magic. Let's talk about bone magic. So if Fletcher at the one bones. point can, he like freezes someone in place by like commanding the bones in their body. So that's how you like influence like physical people. So is it like, can you control their bones, but they're still like yelling and yes. trying to do their own stuff? Like you don't, it's like, it's not mind control. It's just no. like body control. It's body control. Okay. Um, And so like the earth, water, air, fire stuff is... Uh, kind of airbendery in that you are commanding things that exist to bend to your will. Like you might, um, you know, whip up a cyclone or you might, uh, you know, pull a bunch of rocks out of the ground. Um, at one point when Kel is in a fight with Lila, um, he like commands a part of the wood in the wall to wrap around her wrist and like hold her there oh yikes yeah it's pretty it's pretty dope um and then i assume the other kinds of magic are pretty self-explanatory yeah what the like earth and wind and fire and whatever and we get introduced to it it's actually really smart um there's an opening scene where a collector or i think he's actually called an enthusiast one of the gray londoners who wants to learn magic he uh, is being shown this little trinket by Kel that is a like children's training device in Red London that is like a box with a lump of dirt, a spoon, f- like a spoon's worth of water, um, a thimble of sand that you can move around with air, some oil, and like a tiny chicken bone or something. I don't know. Uh-huh. Um, and you're supposed to like hold it and learn how to command each element. Um, and some people are better at one element than others and all sorts of stuff like that. And that kind of crops up a couple times throughout the book. But the Antari, which Kel is one of, and um, they, uh, there's not a lineage thing. They just kind of crop up in the world. Like, it's not like, oh, your parents were Antari and now you are. There's no clear, at least in this book, reason for why that happens Kel has his own like personal belief that maybe it's just kind of nature making sure things don't get out of hand um, because they are very powerful. They can do all of the five elements very, very well. They can do this extra blood magic stuff. Um, and then now we've got this like and then magic the black item. magic is just like a wild card. thing. Is a wild card. So you've, you've implied a couple of times magic, something that can be learned and not something like inborn. Because you've, um, you, you've talked a few times about people wanting to learn. Yeah. The, and you haven't said that they can't, so. Yes, but there is an like an inherent aptitude thing going on. So there is a like. So like anybody can learn, but only some people can be good at it? Yes, I believe so. Okay. Because um, you have to have the will to do it. And that feels very fuzzy, and it is kind of very fuzzy on purpose because it is just like exerting power over things um it's explicit that you are also like drawing on the magic in the world around you so like gray london doesn't have a lot of magic in there no one can really use it for people to come out of gray london doing magic is kind of unheard of um red london everybody's got some magic but like most people have a specialty though there is like a this little anecdote where a bunch of 
like a dozen people or so. I think they call themselves like the shadows or something. They <laughs> don't have magic. It's not very creative. I <laughs> no. don't think like <laughs> they don't have magic. And they actually at one point kidnap the, the prince when he's really young and like they're going to kill him or hold him ransom or something because they don't like being ruled by people with magic. Like there is this sense that the king and queen are like, you know what? I Not everyone in our world has magic, but I bet everyone's benefiting from it equally. There's no reason to believe that they don't believe that sincerely but it's sort of like a top down yeah like a trickle trickle down magic sort of situation trickle down magic economics yeah not, ev- not everybody has it but um so surely everyone is benefiting when some people have it and so there are little notes like that where schwab can be like yeah i don't have time to deal with this like full world building thing here mm-hmm. but i can like it's worth me nodding to how this would like play out if I were like fleshing out the world a little bit more. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, so the other big part of the plot is this character Lila that I've referenced a couple times. She is a thief from gray London um, who she's 19, uh, but her mind is older and she like wants to be a pirate and she wants adventure. Um, she isn't a magic user. We meet her kind of doing her like Han Solo pickpockety thing, just living on her own, like a lone wolf. Mm-hmm. Um, she is known in gray London as the shadow thief, uh, because a lot of shadows, a lot of shadows. Shadow names. Um, she dresses almost exclusively in like men's clothing, um, this is where I'm glad you read some of that stuff from Schwab about kind of inverting gender norms or stereotypes in some of her characters because Lila is definitely the like bruiser of the two, even though Kel is like sometimes a magic anime man. Uh-huh. Um, Lila's the one who wants to just get in there and, and mix things up. She's willing to fight anybody and any everybody. Um, she, when she's when we first meet her, she's like walking through the streets talking about like thinking to herself about rich ladies and stuff and not understanding why like women would feign or embrace like weakness as a tactic. Um, look, I think the quote is why anyone would ever pretend to be weak was beyond her. Like she's just there to get hers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the opening gambit is like the guy who's the landlord who's letting her sleep on his boat. Um, is drunk and wants more money than she has and like tries to make a pass at her and she has to kill him and then like sets his boat on fire and gets (laughs) out there. Okay. (laughs) Um, And so she gets mixed up with Kel when he is um, like hopping between worlds after he's first gotten the black talisman and people are chasing him and she actually picks his pocket and takes it from him, not knowing what it is. And so they actually start out as adversaries, which is kind of neat because you know that they're not, but the book isn't in a rush to like make them friends or, um, and they're never really a romantic interest in any way, shape, or form, even though it feels like the book could go there and maybe other books do. Um, but she just kind of doesn't get why this is so important to this guy. Um, 
and it you know goes into direct conflict with him she she learns that it can do magic she can kind of wield it a little bit by holding it and and at one point dreams up her perfect pirate sword except it's made entirely out of like evil black metal uh-huh so she throws it away because she doesn't want an evil sword um, evil, now is there like a sword made of speed metal too like is there one made of thrash metal like what kind <laughs> of different metal there is a like swedish uh, orchestra metal sword yes <laughs> um and i'll i don't want to dwell on it actually this is one part of the book that um it makes sense from the big picture but beat to beat the main characters don't really worry about it so the sword is one example where something has been created by this one ring rock um the sword gets tossed in an alley. A dude picks it up and he's like, yo, this, I can't put this sword down. It's almost like it's evil magic. And then it stabs him and, uh, he becomes like an evil magic zombie. Okay. And while this magic is getting used out in the world, um, this starts happening to people. And like, it's almost like it, it has a voice. It is like inhabiting these bodies. It's, it's like a single person or being that literally is magic. That is at once like taking over whoever is holding the rock and is now just like spreading through people in the London's like sometimes it's through people having sex. Mm-hmm. It's through people stabbing each other, mm-hmm. people punching each other to death. Um, and every time, like, the person gets back up like a zombie, and they later refer to it as the time that there was, like, the Black Plague that came through, the Black Magic Plague. Um, and that gets to the larger, I think, the larger concern that this, like, Black London magic is bad for everyone. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. it, it is just out here to destroy worlds um, and and take names. So the the plot culminates in... Uh, Kel and Lila making it to White London where there ends up being a showdown with the evil siblings Um, and then it ends up they they beat them hooray and then there's like a showdown with a character who is just the magic inside of Kel he's just like personified magic yeah personified evil black magic and kel has to like dispel him um and it's neat like it's it it feels like a you know that none of that is groundbreaking i think it's just well done and well executed in terms of like an adventure magic story um where there's like a big throne room fight with the two twin i don't know if they're twins but whatever um and people are like hurling magic at each other. They have the other half of the rock, so they're using some of the creepy black magic. Um, and then Kel has to like save himself from the evil stuff within him. Hmm. Um, so yeah, it's it's a cool book. Like the world building is neat. I made a note that like uh, there's a little section where they talk about a, a card game that they play called Sanct, where you're expected to and allowed to cheat. And I just got thinking about all the stories and games that have like in-world gambling. Yeah, I was just gonna. 
which like I kind of like. Like every single video game that invents a card game that you're supposed to spend like 30 hours. Yes. Getting into like, and getting like good at. Do you mean like Tetramaster, Andrew? Or, or Gwent or, or whatever Gwent. the stupid thing is called. Or, or I found there's a billiards game in the next generation called Domjot. Do you know what Domjot is, Andrew? Yes, I know what Domjot is. Um, there's also, there's a game in Winnie the Pooh called Pooh Sticks where you drop a stick in a river and whoever stick gets downstream first wins. All right. I don't think they're gambling, but it's still an They probably are gambling. Like I think Piglet is like owes Kanga like nine hundred fantasy dollars. The wonderful thing about Tigger is Tigger never pays his debts. Yeah. Um so the the thing that I wanna like kind of close out on is the implications of this Antari stuff, um, and the like special people can do special magic part of the book because it both leans into it as a concept but it doesn't just hero worship it if you know what i mean like it's not because like that's the that's why there's all that hullabaloo or was hullabaloo in like the new star wars movies of like is is it just another lineage of skywalkers and like why why do fans want that and why do some fans not and what are the like storytelling pitfalls of that well i'm also and i'm also curious to know like whether it feels like i know in the the late harry potter books especially it did just kind of feel like she would make up new rules and new kinds of magic <laughs> to get herself out of narrative jams so sure. like how organic does it feel like do, are there any points where some magic deus ex machina like gets in the way of the plot or is there anything like that going on no the the one magic that i found myself more curious about and i actually think it's a cool way to limit the ontari are really good and special at magic is that um there is a host of uh, like seals and sigils and wards and for lack of a better word, like blessings or whatever, like uh, that can be put on things that even the Antari have to deal with. So mm-hmm. the wizards in white London actually put like a compel, like a compulsion spell on their Antari so that he can't disobey them. Now he can still like sort of think for himself and they're into that in a creepy way. Mm-hmm. Um, but he can't disobey an order from them. There are guards in Red London who have special swords that when they stab, like when they hit something that's magic, it like knocks the magic out like an EMP for a period of time. So that is not really explained as to like why why people have access to that um, other than just people do. Uh, so I think maybe you could explore that in further books, but it actually feels, it feels like power structures that are put in place. And so that is like thematically resonant with the book, even when it mostly seems like it's there as like to help some narrative beats make sense. (laughs) Uh (laughs) Uh, we need to have, and, and it does also draw back to like, there are, are certain like blood seals and stuff that Kel does over the course of the book, one or two of which are like super important to like major plot points with his brother um that feel of a similar magic taxonomy with all the other seals but as i was reading it i was like i wonder why is what type of magic is this and how does it fit into this like 
other system that has been thoroughly explained um except for it relating to like power it's not it doesn't draw specifically on like the elementals or anything like that so mm-hmm. um and then the other way that it kind of subverts the special people with special magic trope um Kel is very aware of himself as a tool of the state for, for lack of a better word okay. like he he bemoans the fact that he doesn't really know where he came from he was like an orphan at five and the king and queen took him in um so he actually kind of sees himself as very similar to the trinkets that he like kind of brings between the worlds because that's what that's what makes him special um because in a you know an ideal world he wouldn't have to be getting in like big magic fights where his magic would be useful. Sure. Um, the main thing and the reason that the king and queen keep him around um, is that he is useful to them politically, and he gets into kind of like a sad sack place about it when he's arguing with Lila, who's like grown up with nothing and has had to live on the street. And he's like, yeah, but this all doesn't matter because they don't love me. And Lila's like, you have a house, if not a home. You have people who care for you, if not about you. You may not have everything you want, but I'd wager you have everything you could ever need. And you have the audacity to claim it all forfeit because it is not love. Love doesn't keep us from freezing to death, Kel, or starving, or being knifed for the coins in our pocket. Love doesn't buy us anything. Um, And that's a cool, like, I like Lila's... I don't know that I agree with Lila's worldview, but I like how consistent it is and the the contrast it has to Kel's um, because in a way it's a little bit more hopeful where it's like, if the results are good, the results are good. Um, if the outcomes of your actions are good, the outcomes of your actions are good. It doesn't matter the motivation, which is just an interesting, like what it's is inter- altruism? It's, a, I, you know? it's an interesting way to dress up the ends justify the means, I guess. Yes, it is. And and it's not presented as like the way forward explicitly, just um, like a way forward. Yeah, and and her arc is about like be going from a loner to, um, wanting to see this thing through, and Kel, you know, more than once kind of saves her butt and she saves his butt, and they're both kind of surprised as to why they do it, probably because they're you know loners and and, and want to help each other out. Um, so yeah, it's just it's. It's interesting that Kel is not a, like, I'm out here to be a hero. I'm so special. I'm going to save the day. He feels a kinship with the world around him and kind of feels sad that it's reduced to this, like, in practice to this being a tool. And so he's ready to, when this opportunity to, like, write the balance of the world presents itself, he's like, I got to do this because mm-hmm. it's it's breaking everything down. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it's there's also like Schwab's pretty creative. There's stuff in Red London that of course would happen where they have like fun magic nonsense. Like everyone has a scrying screen in their like house or on their street. That's scrying basic. screen. Yeah, it's like a it's like a flat screen TV that the state can magically broadcast to. <laughs> like oh, like they okay. can put that doesn't sound that fantastical actually. Like they can just put announcements on it, and at one point when like Kells wanted for a crime he didn't commit like they can put his face up there it's like the magic newspapers in harry potter but it it like is different at one point you could when they're looking for him a character goes and like presses the button that's like i found him and then guards show up which is mm-hmm. like kind of minority report and cool and at one point 
a guard speaks into a tiny flat crystal and it functions like a walkie-talkie and made me think of Nextel phones, <laughs> which I thought was kind of It cool. makes that little beepy like, noise. Like, of course, they would have little magic phones because why not? Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I it doesn't... Um, the, the themes are pretty limited to, like, this idea of uh, power and command and, like, balance versus, like, dominance. Like, uh, are you working in concert with things larger than yourself or are you trying to master them for your own like selfish gains sure um so and i don't you know the magic system is tied to that but not in a in a rigid rule-based way the same way that i think um what was that book i just read the mistborn series is a little bit more like the structure is thematically resonant in all the rules about the eight metals and the other secret metals and how uh-huh. everything is in pairs. Mm-hmm. Um, this one's a little bit more like tied to emotional forces that kind of just like let the narrative beats happen as you need. Mm-hmm. Um, any other questions about fantasy that you want to ask me or about? I don't think I have any other fantasy questions. Like where does the, I guess my last thing would be like, how well does this stand as its own thing and how much is it meant to just like segue right into the next one? I did not get a strong sense of a, of a segue. Um, so Kel, it kind of, it kind of, there is a story that happens here and then the book is just over. Yeah. 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 It, it's, you're not fighting, um, like the the big bad of of the of the evil magic personified doesn't f- even though the stakes are very high it still feels very personal and down to earth with those characters and there aren't as it doesn't feel like the entire universe is falling apart even though the stakes are pretty close to that so i feel like there are places for them to go that don't have to tie directly to the events of this book it's just like oh here's what happened to these characters um I'm sure the next book will find a reason to toss them together again and we'll, we'll proceed from there, which I think mm-hmm. is nice because it, it allows the ending to actually land and like the world to feel changed by the events of the book in a way that could like hang for a little while and be consequential um, without it being like, and next time we're going to do this thing. Yeah, sure. Because that's, I don't know, that can cheapen the ending of some books sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, that's it. That's, that's the darker shade yeah. of magic. Okay. Um, I've and been darker, to... Oh, and the darker shade is the black magic. Yes, I the found... darkest shade. I got it. Uh, I have been to London, and it was not like any of the Londons I saw in this book. So Not even Grey London? I mean... Not even the London that it actually literally is supposed to be? There... Even though I guess that's, that's a ways back in the past. Right? Yeah, there were no cars in the book. And I saw cars in the London, and there was a. Wow, tube. that's one big difference. Big difference. They didn't have a subway, mm-hmm. nor the sandwich shop. Mm-hmm. Um, that's it. If folks have read these books and want to talk to us about it, you can send us an email at overduepod at gmail.com or Twitter and Facebook.com slash overduepod. Uh, a bunch of folks reached out in response to last week's Redwall episode, uh, including Anthony, Michael, Leanne, Rebecca, Lisa Ann, Jerry, R.A., Melissa, Joshua, Cooper, Katie, Maria, Tom, and Kelly. Thanks so much for spreading the word about the show. 
Andrew, if folks want to know more about us, where should they go? They can go over to podcast.com, which is our internet website where we have links to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and our RSS feed. Those are all ways you can subscribe to the show, get new episodes when they come out on Mondays, and also get our bonus episodes when we post them. Um, what else is going on? We got our Patreon page. It's patreon.com slash overdue pod. Um, thanks again to the folks at the imaginary bookshop. Uh, yeah. it's imaginary bookshop.com for supporting us on Patreon and, and getting a little bit of a shout out. There's also a lot of other stuff you can get if you kick a little bit of money to us every month. So, so that's fun for Andrew, us what and you, for you. What are you reading next week? I'm reading divine secrets of the Yaya sisterhood by Yaya. Rebecca Wells. Yaya. Find out what that means because I don't know <laughs> next week. Okay. <laughs> um, all right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks for supporting the show. Uh, until we see you next week, try to be happy. Just do it. That was a headgum podcast. <laughs>